0: Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 11 through verses 22. Actually, we're going to begin with, with verse 1 in this chapter. Looks like a lot, of, a lot of verses. We're going to be summarizing what we've already went through just a couple of weeks ago in the first 11 verses here. So, that being said, let me pray for us as we dig into the, the scriptures this morning and as our introduction. Let me pray for us. Ask the Lord to use the word of the Lord to speak to hearts and minds here this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you this morning that you have, uh, you have visited with us today in our, in our worship. God, we thank you uh, that we can sing songs of praises to you in freedom. Uh, we ask you, God, that uh, you would be with us this morning as you speak to us through your word. Illumine hearts, illumine minds through your blessed Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you. And we do praise you in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week we were looking at blind Bartimaeus, and something I wanted to pick out and kind of express to us this morning is blind Bartimaeus said two times at the end of Mark 10 He says to Lord, to, to, to Jesus Christ, He says, Have mercy on me. He says, Have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus we use as an illustration of the uh, pervasiveness that we should have. Uh, the pursuit that we should have towards Jesus Christ, uh, and that we should pursue the Lord with all that we have. So we looked at that aspect last week of, of have mercy on me, O Lord Jesus, as blind Bartimaeus expressed uh, as Jesus walked by. Bartimaeus didn't ask for money, he asked for mercy. So those are some aspects we looked at last week. And it seemed as if Bartimaeus had a little bit more understanding of who Jesus is and the mission of Jesus and his own disciples. I had walked with him. So This week we turned our attention to the disciples going into the city with Jesus as Jesus makes his triumphant entry. So we're going to use this as our introduction today. And if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 11, we're going to begin looking at verses 1. We'll go through 11 as our introduction. And so Jesus, we've heard this probably a couple, uh, been a few weeks ago, about Jesus' triumphant entry into the city. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. started with verse 1, then Jesus and His disciples were standing over top of the Mount of Olives and Jesus was looking down. You can follow along. I'm just kind of going to give us a, a, a background of what's going to happen by the time we get to verse 12. So Jesus is standing up here with His disciples looking down on the city. And so He sends His disciples down. He sends two of them down to get a colt that has been made for Jesus to set on. Think about that. Jesus had made this cult specifically. This cult has been specifically made for Jesus to enter into the city. I think about Jonah, and as Jesus said, that there was a, a well that was prepared, or a great fish prepared, just it seems, for the sole purpose of chastening, or chastising Jonah, getting Jonah to go to the right direction. The same thing I, can, I say would be about this cult. It was made, and it was made for Jesus to set on and to enter into the city. So He sends the disciples. They get the cult. They bring it back. They throw their garment over the back of the donkey. Jesus sits on it. He rides through the city. Now the people had cut down palm trees. Remember what they screamed? They said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, O Lord. They saw within Jesus a Messiah. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They saw within Jesus a Messiah. But they did not understand that this was not just a political Messiah. They missed the whole point of Jesus being the spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They missed that. They missed it. These same people we're going to see just a few weeks later that cried Hosanna is going to say crucify Him. Crucify him. So he rides through the city, and now he's at Jerusalem. He's at Jerusalem now, and now he gets down off the donkey, he goes to investigate. It says in verse 11, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. He looked around about and saw all the things, and now the eventide was come, the evening was coming. He went out into Bethany with. The twelve. I want you to think of this question as we transition. After the background has been set, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The people have just cried, "Hosanna! God save us!" The background has been set. We are now entering into the meat of the message this morning, which is the fruitful and the unfruitful, the fruitful and the unfruitful. I want you to ask yourself this question as you begin to hear the word. Go forward this morning. Ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this. What or how can I be fruitful for the kingdom of God? How can I be fruitful for the kingdom of God? You might be thinking, well, I've served the Lord so many years. You can still be fruitful for God. Still be fruitful. Ask yourself this question. I want this question to intertwine all of the message this morning. All the verses you hear. I want this to intertwine with all that we hear this morning. How can I be a, a fruitful vessel for the kingdom? How can I be fruitful for the kingdom of God today? So I want us to begin to look at the unfruitful and the fruitful. Beginning with this, the unfruitful that is foreshadowed. The unfruitful foreshadow. Let's look at, at verse 12. Starting with our, the meat of our text this morning, picks up in verse 12. This is where our, our sandwich is going to occur. And I'll explain what I mean by a, a sandwich when we get there. On the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. The one I want us to get with these three points this morning is what I like to call a a Mark Sandwich. You've heard a term before. I use it a, a, a little ways back. Sam, uh, this sandwich. He's given us, Mark has given us a sandwich this morning. On the top would be the unfruitful seen in the fig tree. And on the bottom would be the fig tree. And right in the middle is where Jesus is going to show what the unfruitfulness is. So right in the middle where the meat would be of this sandwich, Jesus is not only going to use the illustration, but He's going to show us what the meat is. Who is the unfruitful? Right in the middle of this sandwich. So we're going to pick up at verse 12. Jesus goes out and Jesus was hungry, it says. Just like a human being would be. I mean, Jesus was human as Hebrews tells us. That Jesus he suffered like a man. He knew what it meant for a man to suffer. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasted and prayed. He was hungry, the Bible tells us, so he knows what it means to suffer. Any time on Jesus' travel, any time he could have easily have gone into a home of one of these people who have said he is the Son of David and realized him as some type of Messiah. He could have easily have said to them, I am hungry, minister to me. But he chose to go to a fig tree. And he deliberately done so. So Jesus gets up. It was early in the morning. Probably about midday breakfast for the Hebrew. They would have, he would have got up, started his day with his disciples in the ministry. He would have gone out looking to see who he could have compassion on and what work he could do that day. So he got up and he was hungry. So Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance. And it has the appearance of being fruitful. Think of that. Think of this. Jesus is using this as an illustration. It has the appearance of being fruitful. Now Jesus comes to the tree and he finds no fig on it. Nothing. No fruit. Nothing whatsoever. But it had the appearance of being alive and vibrant. So... Jesus has been, number one, healing the sick. He walked on water. He fed 4,000. He fed 5,000. He forgave sin. Back in Mark 2, He told a man to get up off his bed and take his bed and to go home and walk home. And yet, Jesus doesn't have the knowledge to know that there is no figs on the tree. Sure He did. Sure He did. Jesus knew there was no fruit thereon. Mark is alerting, uh, He is alerting the reader he is letting you know as you read this that Jesus is, is using this as an illustration. For and he also says, Mark also uses this phrase, it was not the season for figs. He's letting you know. Jesus knows that this is not the season for the fig. There is nothing on here. So, Jesus, there's something else going on. Mark is alerting us of the literary device. When he uses that phrase, it was not the season for figs, he set up the reader for that Jesus was about to use that little fig tree as an illustration to teach others about who is unfruitful and who is fruitful in in Israel at that time. Now that speaks to us too. Don't think we're divorced from this. Because... There are times when we are fruitful and we are unfruitful as well. So we'll we'll look at that as this discourse begins to unfold a little bit more to us. And oftentimes in Scripture, the fig tree is, is an illustration of Israel. The tree is an illustration of Israel. Oftentimes in Scripture, think of uh, something as seen in Jeremiah 8 and verse 13. It says, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs or tree. "...and the leaf will fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them." So oftentimes a fig and the fig tree is used as an illustration of Israel and the Jew and the Hebrew people. In Revelation we might see something about the fig tree that casts her untimely fruit or untimely figs off the tree. We would use this as an illustration. So as we're looking on the outward appearance, on the outward appearance of things... The Hebrew, the, the Israel looked healthy. Israel looked healthy. Herod had built the temple up. He had built the temple to a magnificence. Not like it was in Solomon's day. But he had built the temple up. He left off where we see Zerubbabel in the Old Testament. Began to build the temple up again. And Herod comes along and builds it up. And makes it a, a magnificent uh, temple. Nothing like the original but it had all the appearance of being fruitful. People were bringing sacrifices and sacrificing to God, but the people were bearing no fruit. Kind of heard, Have you ever heard the expression that they were just going through the motions? People were just going through the motions without, without empty, any, any repentance, without really seeking God. So the leaves on the tree has the appearance of being vibrant and alive. Now, how would this be an illustration of Israel? There was, what would be the metaphorical fruit on this tree? The mer- metaphorical fruit on this tree for Israel would have been that they, number one, had faith. Uh, also, another fruit on this tree would be that they had repentance, that they were repentant. Back in Isaiah's time, it speaks of, of them bringing sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. They were just going through the motions. There was no fruit on the tree even though it looked as if it was healthy and alive. They were just going through the motions. And what really is going to make this illustration pop, what is really going to make this illustration of this tree kind of just uh, uh, come before us evermore is that where Jesus goes into the temple and this illustration is realized. Jesus shows them what the unfruitfulness is is when he goes into his father's house. The best explanation for this is Jesus walked up to the fig tree and deliberately walked to it to use it as an illustration. Saw no figs on the tree. Sets it up to show that the people of Israel are unfruitful. And he says to the tree in verse 14, he says, No man eat fruit of the hereafter or forever. There's coming a time in Israel's history history, just 40 years from when Jesus said that where the temple is going to be laid to rubble. There will be a time where there will be no fruit in Israel. and They will forever be changed from 70 A.D. when the temple is leveled out. No more sacrifices, nothing. That they will be changed forever. No man will eat the fruit thereof ever again. They will never be the same. Now what would it take for Israel to be fruitful? I think that it would have taken the the destruction of the temple. And even then, Israel has missed her Christ. They have missed her Messiah. Charles Ryrie wrote, he says, What is fruit? He asked this question. He says, What is, what what fruit? What can, what fruits can a Christian bear? Now we're taking this to application this morning. What fruits can we bear? How can we look fruitful? What does it mean to be fruitful? In Christ, What does it mean for a Christian to bear fruit? He, he laid out for us five, uh, five, I guess you can call them illustrations of what a Christian would look like if they were fruitful. Now we know in Galatians 5, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is this. We used to have them up here. We used to be able to look at them every week. So a Christian bears certain resemblances to Christ. They have a certain nature about Him. But Ryrie wrote out a few things that I think we can take note of this morning. Number one, he says... A developing Christian character is fruit. You bear fruit as you grow in Christ, as you begin to live like Christ more and more in your daily life. Number two, right character will result in right conduct. And as we live a good life, works we produce, we produce fruit. It isn't as if we must do good works, it is not as if we must be righteous. Verses that we will do good fruits and we will have the appearance of Christ. It's a verses it's, it's of, of, of must and will do. Those who come in Christ through our witness, they are fruit. We bear fruit by sharing the gospel with others and then others coming to know Christ and making disciples. Number three, We also bear fruit with our lips, giving praise to God and thankfully confessing. Not only do we confess to God, but we also live out what we preach. So we would uh, tell a person that Jesus saved us and we need to live this out in the community. We go out and we actually live it out to people. We express the gospel to folks who are in need and show them grace and we show them mercy. And that is a way of bearing fruit. Number five, uh, for the sake of rarity, I left it up here, but I, I have tweaked it just a little bit where he says we bear fruit when we give money. I have tweaked this a little bit because it's so much more than just giving funds into the church. That is important that we do uh, keep up the house of the Lord. That is important. But what is more important is that we, not only is the fruit that we give money, but that we are a good steward of what God has given us. A Christian bearing fruit will be a good steward of what God has blessed us with. And that includes your time, your effort, your daily routines. It goes so much further than just monetary value. Your time. Your service. So these are things that might say to the world that this is a true follower of Christ. They give to the poor and to the saints. So the question still remains as we have looked at that first point, are you bearing fruit? Now these are often synonymous with what it is to be a, a Christ follower. I think the scripture speaks more loudly than that in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But I think these are some good points that can be made. So number one, there is the illustration of the fruitful, the foreshadowing of the unfruitful. Number two, the tossing out of the unfruitful. This is where the unfruitful is realized. The illustration comes to life, so to speak. Starting with verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and He began to cast them out that sold and bought into the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is Is it not written, My house shall be called a of, of all nations a house of prayer? But you have made it into a den of thieves. And in verse eighteen says this And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. They heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished by his doctrine. Now, not only did Jesus illustrate using the fig tree, he goes into the temple and shows the unfruitfulness of the religious leaders, the religious system, and how their hearts were far from God. And he began to cast them out of the temple. Now, this temple cleansing is in all four of your Gospels. The first three are the synoptic. Matthew, Mark, Luke, are in the first three. It is in John's gospel at the very beginning. John is establishing the deity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. So John sets it up at the beginning. It is in all four. So it is very important to understand what this is saying as we look at all of the gospels and the whole of the gospel itself. Now here are the tables of the money changers. They are changing it. It's kind of like having in the church somebody making change. Kind of like in the church, somebody had a currency system. They were exchanging their money so they can pay the Roman taxes. Not only that, you had folks who were exchanging and and selling sacrifices within within the system itself. So they also had within them, they had uh, different animals. They had doves for those who could not not afford uh, to buy the the animals, you know, the, the lamb that they might bring. So Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 6 might tell us some of these things. So we'll notice there where it says they brought the burnt offering, the lamb, a lamb, a young pigeon, a, or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And the turtle dove uh, being uh, the, more, the less money you have, the lower the sacrifice. So they might have to buy a dove. But they had something. But here's the idea and why it was so forbidden in the temple. And the outer wall you might have where the Gentiles may have been able to coincide. They may have been able to sit. They were not allowed within the inter-sanctuary the inter, uh, of the temple itself. This was for God's people, the Hebrew people. The best way that I could probably make this illustration stand out for, to us today and to bring this home would be as if we are having a worship service. You're hearing the preacher preach the word. And over here in the side room we have a fundraiser going on over here at the same time. People are buying, say, chicken plate dinners. People are buying uh, uh, whatever it is we're selling. And over here, uh, we could be doing a yard sale. And all the time while the preacher is preaching, you have people going through in and out the doors and going in and out these doors here while the preaching is going on. Causing of commotion. They're causing what is to be a house of prayer and solitude and seeking God into a, a den of thieves and a place of commerce in which the Lord was very displeased. People were going in and out and going through and all kinds of commotion. And I can imagine as they read from the scroll and brought in their sacrifices that the people could not, even, uh, could not even see God. The sacrifices were going up to God. They were bringing their sacrifices. But it was just meaningless as it can be because their hearts were far from God. There was all types of commotion which makes us go back to the idea that there needs to be some reverence in the house of the Lord. I think people today have lost that reverence as well. We're coming to the house of the Lord to seek God in one accord. We join with one voice and sometimes we see that there's all types of, of commotion and disrespect for God's house. I think the Lord will be displeased sometimes at some of the things we might see in the house of God. There needs to be some reverence for God's house. Now, if Jesus was angry about that then, what do you think that He would be angry today looking in on some of the churches across America today that have lost their reverence? Hey, this is just brick. This is just drywall and mortar, right? But what makes this the house of the Lord is God's people come together. We come together to worship Him. That is our sole purpose. is to worship that reverence to God. And so He also says... Jesus, He forbids them. They're going back and forth. Remember the idea. They're going back and forth. And He says to them that they should not. He suffers no man to carry any old common thing. It'd be like people having a yard sale and going out with all their findings and all their things they got and going out through here taking it to their cars. Disrupting the house of prayer it would be. They had literally turned the house of God into a den of thieves. And I like how the ESV reads on this. It says this. It is written, is it not? My house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. It was intended for Israel to be a beacon for the nations. Gentile and Jew alike to come and to to pray. But it says you have turned it into a hideout for bandits. These were systematic bandits. They knew how to work the system. They were systematic in their, in their schemes. They knew how to work the people. They were considered a bandit. Kind of like what would be on that old dusty road that they might have traveled on, but they had barely had it on any light. And the, and the bandits would be waiting in the bushes for these people to come through so they can rob them. Jesus is giving us an equivalent to that. Saying, these people are in my house are just like them bandits that are in the bushes waiting to ambush my people. Jesus confronted the thieves and the high priests, and they sought to kill him for that. They sought to kill him for that. Now, although Jesus quotes from Isaiah and he uses the word all nations here, the Gentiles were prohibited at that time to come in. But there, Jesus was looking, it seems to be looking for a future time where all the nations and all people would come, and Israel was to be that catalyst, but it did not happen so. It did not happen so as we see this this future time here. Jesus presented an obstacle to the to the scribes and to the Pharisees and to the the religious system that looked as if it was flourishing, just like a tree. It looked as if everything was was prosperous, the economy was booming. Rome was allowing the Hebrew people to bring their sacrifices and they were allowing them to practice their religion. But looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. It would be the equivalent of us getting all dressed up, putting on a nice flash of cologne or perfume, looking all nice, and then coming to the house of the Lord and our hearts be far from God. Far from Him. They had the appearance of being fruitful. The appearance, but it could be deceiving. Now Jesus, back in chapter 3 and verse 6, had confronted the scribes and Pharisees before. And way back then, these people had conspired to kill Jesus. They had sought to kill Him because He, he confronted them. Number one, Jesus comes in and He says to them, by Jesus' own teachings, that the scribes and Pharisees had been leading the people astray and teaching them wrong all along. They, were been, they have been the false prophets and the false guys. And Jesus had confronted them And they didn't like it. They sought to kill Him. And now He's coming in and saying their system in which they have in the temple is flawed and wrong as well. That their hearts are far from God. Just like they were back in Isaiah's time. Their hearts were far from God. They were going through the motions of of religiosity. But they were way away from God. They sought to kill Jesus all the more. And I think it is strange sometimes... How in the world today that people, when they look at righteousness, they look at a person that wants to live right for God, and that somehow they become the enemy. And Isaiah's time also talked about what they have turned good to evil and evil to good. And so it seems to be just like that today sometimes. When a person seeks to do good, they've automatically been deemed as evil. So it's funny how times just kind of recycled themselves. We come to a full circle again. In a Western society where you can say that something is good and holy is supposed to be righteous and now you're called evil because you present a position that seems to be right and moral. If it seems wrong to you, a lot of times we may say, hey, is it wrong for me to do this? Is it wrong for me to do that? Most of the times we have to ask that question. It probably is. It probably is. But I want us to look at the catalyst here that literally puts the coffin, the nail in the coffin, at least for the, from the scribes' aspect, is this, that the people were absolutely astonished by the teachings of Jesus. He taught as if on high. He taught from authority from God. I mean, He was God incarnate. He was the flesh. He was, he was the word made flesh that dwelt among them. And of course He's going to teach with authority. Of course He's, of course he's going to teach as if it is from the voice of God. Now, people were absolutely astonished. And it made the scribes and the Pharisees all the more want to kill Jesus. So here is another aspect of being unfruitful. When righteous goes forward, there have turned it on the person and said, you are speaking evil. You are speaking evil. Think of this, no man on earth in such a short period of time, has turned the world upside down as Jesus did. No man came on the scene and spoke with such authority and power as Jesus did. In just three years' time, His act of ministry and literally turned the world upside down, literally changed history altogether. No other person, no other man on earth can ever lay claim to that because Jesus was not just an ordinary man. And this is what Mark has been painting for us From the very beginning, Jesus is more than just your ordinary man. He was God in the flesh. Of course He's going to speak with authority. Of course the people are going to be astonished by what He says. Sometimes speaking the truth can bring out the worst in people because they hate you for it. Jesus said the world was going to hate you because of the message. Not you yourself. Because what you preach would be that Jesus is the only way that people are going to hate you for that. So these people in the temple were crafty. They were crafty people. They knew how to manipulate. It makes me think of two brothers, one older and younger. You know how civil, uh, the rivalry can be sometimes amongst, amongst children. Uh, two, uh, two brothers, one older, one younger. And the older brother looks at the younger brother and says, he makes a deal with them. He says, I'll give you a dollar. That's been a long time ago. I'll give you a dollar if you let me crash or smash three eggs on your head. If they were boiling eggs. You can imagine how boys are, anyway. You let know, me you let me, cra- you let me uh, smash three eggs on your head. Just crack three eggs on your head, and I'll give you a dollar. So the younger boy says, "Okay, okay, I'll do that. I'll do it." He wants he wants to get the dollar. And so the younger brother takes the egg they're about to boil and cracks it on his head. Takes the other egg, cracks it on his head takes a third egg and holds back. The, the younger brother's like, Ugh. he's waiting for it to come, but he, but, but he never crashes. It on his head. He says, hey, what, are you supposed to crash that so I can get my dollar? He said, that's the point. If I crash this on your head, I'll have to give you a dollar. Really? This is just the same way that we see dishonesty. We see that these people were crafty. They knew how to manipulate the system. And they were what Jesus was talking about the unfruitfulness of that tree. They were those type of people that were shifty. They were a den of thieves, Jesus would say. Mark 11 and 19 says this, And when they, the evening was come, he went out of the city. He went out of the city. So that question still pervades through this. How can we be fruitful for the kingdom? We don't want to be like the religious leaders that have the appearance of being all holy. And righteous. We don't want just the appearance. We don't want the appearance of going through the motions. We want a real and true heart change that comes through Christ. The last point, we're going to end on this. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now these last few verses here, Jesus says to this, In the morning they passed by, they saw the fig tree that was all dried up. See, here's the bottom of that sandwich. The meat has been revealed. Now here's the bottom tended out. And Peter called, and he remembered, he said it to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. It's withered away. And Jesus answered it to him. He said, have faith in God. Very important. Have faith in God. See, Jesus knew what was coming for the temple. He knew the destruction that was coming. So he points back to that. He says, no matter what you see, they're going to drive you out. They're going to hate you because you follow me. They're going to hate the very fact that you name the name of Jesus on your lips. and say that you follow Him. They're going to hate you for it. Have faith in God. These people might be misrepresenting me. Have faith in God. You might know some people in here who say that they have been hurt by going to church by somebody. Somebody done them wrong in the church. And they'll never go back ever again. Jesus would say, have faith in God. Put your eyes on me and not them. He would say, have faith in me anyways. Persevere. Pursue me. Just like blind Bartimaeus. mass. Pursue me. Have faith regardless of what these people are doing. They're doing it wrong. They're not seeking me. Have faith in God. Jesus says to them, if you've ever been done wrong, look, put your eyes on Jesus. Show me to be in a community of believers. Yes, put your eyes on Christ first and primarily. Just to recap, the unfruitful, that is foreshadowed. Jesus used the fig tree as an illustration. Number two, He tossed out the unfruitful out of the temple. He showed who they were. It was religious uh, Israel, it was religious high priests and scribes that were far away from God. And number three, He says, have faith in God. When the world seems to be against you, when the church even seems to be against you, have faith in God When the when this system falls, Jesus says, when this passes away because it is not true, you have faith in me. When you have been persevered, when you have been persecuted to the ends of the earth, have faith in God, he says. So that question this morning is going to be our invitation. It's going to be our invitation this morning. I don't know if you can read, it keeps going out of focus. Two part question. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your blessings on us this morning. Father, I have divided the word as, as best I could. And I ask you, God, that you would use these few words this morning that I have kind of stumbled through to illumine the hearts and minds of people today that you have done to me. You preached this to me, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you that it hits home with me as well, Father. Thank you for that.